Good morning. Uh, last year, Netflix brought out a documentary series uh, that was entitled Dirty Money. Um, I don't know if you've seen any of these episodes, um, but absolutely worth a watch, um, especially if you just aren't really feeling particularly joyful about the state of the world. Uh, that really digs deep into that. Um, what, what Dirty Money is, is tales, uh, exposés, um, tales of corporate greed, personal greed. Um, one of the episodes is focused on the VW emissions scandal um, and reveals the fact that actually everyone in that company at the highest level seemed to have a good indication um, of what was going on and in the, in the name of money, we're quite happy to, to let that go. Um, there's also one on uh, big pharmaceutical companies uh, who buy needed medicine uh, and inflate the prices of it um, because they know that they can get away with it and because people need it. Um, so, Dirty Money, there's six episodes, um, and over the course of these episodes, we are shown how the pursuit of money can corrupt, uh, and it shows us the lengths that some will go to to make money. Um, I'm a huge fan of these kind of um, documentaries, and one of my favorite things to do when TV shows or documentaries are released or when football matches are live on telly is to go on Twitter and just see what people are saying about it. That adds to all of the extra entertainment that I'm getting. Because Twitter is an amazing place at times like that. What it is, is all of society gathering in one place and shouting their opinions at each other. And it's really, really important to hear. It's really exciting, actually, to hear just what Gary Lineker or Ellen DeGeneres thinks about what's going on in the world at the moment. So when Dirty Money was released, um, I was fascinated to hear what people thought uh, about the pursuit of money uh, and greed, uh, corporate and personal greed, and how it can change people uh, or make them act in shocking ways, especially towards other humans. And on Twitter, I came across an awful lot of opinion uh, and moralizing, which suggested, how could anyone be so greedy or obsessed with money? And the reality is that the reason dirty money exists is because money has a real hold on us all and we give it an importance that it was never supposed to have. Uh, in fact, the way that money manages to corrupt and shape how, human, how humans live shows just how important money and pursuing it has become to us as humans. As a church, we have been uh, working our way through the Sermon on the Mount, um, a sermon of Jesus from the book of Matthew to his group of followers about what it looks like, uh, what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Uh, and the passage that we're going to read today from Matthew 6, verse 19 to 24, um, is Jesus teaching on money, uh, but not just on money, also on treasures, the things that we hold dear to us. Uh, and where we place their importance in our lives. Uh, one of the, the great things about preaching from a passage is that the more you read and study it, the more time that you spend in it, the more God seems to reveal. Um, and that's been true for me this week as I've been putting it together. It's been a struggle at times, um, but has been a real blessing. Um, when I first read this passage, 
I was pretty certain that I knew the meaning of it and how it applied to the Christian life today. Um, It's simple. Don't love money, right? Great, we can all go home. Uh, However, I also preached a few weeks ago on the passage that says, turn the other cheek. And again, had pretty much assumed that I knew exactly what that was about until I started to really study it. And this week, I've learned, as I did a few weeks ago, uh, as I have studied it more and read this passage more, it's become more and more clear to me that it's not quite as simplistic as that. And what I've also come to realize this week is just how important it is for us as Christians to approach God's word with the hope of being changed by it. Because is there really any point in seeing this as just a book that can teach us and help us be more of who we want to be? Our hope when we open God's word should be that it changes us. That it turns us into more of who God wants us to be. And in all honesty, do we, when a preacher gets up to speak, are we hoping to hear something that shakes us up, that shakes what we believe and how we live, shows us more of what God wants us to be, and take delight in knowing that he wants to change us? That's an amazing truth, to make us more pleasing to him. In fact, that's what we've learned with much of the Sermon on the Mount over the past few weeks as we've been reading it and learning from it. That Jesus is determined that his followers don't fall into the same kind of traps that many of their peers had. And that many of the Pharisees and religious leaders and teachers of Judaism had. Being legalistic. Taking God's word and applying it rigorously in the hope of being being more legalistic, more religious, being better than those around them. What we've learned is that Jesus is most eager to see people change their hearts and their mindsets away from being religiously impressive and towards lives of love for God, for his word, and for others. What Jesus was really eager to see was freedom. Freedom from sin and freedom from rules, freedom from legalism. And anyone that looks at Jesus or looks at Christianity and sees rules or legalism or restriction has either not been properly informed or has missed the point. The message of Christianity is not about rules. It's about changed hearts and minds. And that doesn't just happen. The changing of hearts and minds doesn't just happen. It completely depends on our willingness to be changed when we read and when we hear from God's word. And our passage today speaks directly into how we live our lives and what we prioritize. In fact, I think it challenges us deeply to take stock of ourselves and our lives and consider just how important God actually is when we compare him to the things that are in our lives, to the things that are important to us. And to consider just how much value we place on our relationship with him. It challenges us to consider, have I really signed up for giving everything over to God? Or has he just been bolted onto the side? Has he just become something else that we make a little bit of time for? So let's read our passage together. And then we're going to pray that God will speak meaningfully and truthfully into our lives. So Matthew 6 
verses 19 to 24. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Let's pray. Father God, we are so blessed to be able to open up our Bibles and hear directly from you. We praise you that we have the ability as a church to come together and to read it and to learn from it. I pray, Father God, that you'll speak to us, that you will shape our hearts. I pray that we will approach these words, these verses, with a willingness to hear from you a willingness to be shaken up, to be changed, so that we can be more of who you want us to be. Amen. Over the past two weeks, Andy and Stuart have covered the passages in this Sermon on the Mount that model and encourage prayer in the life of a Christian. Not to impart new rules on us, but to show us how important and good prayer is and can be. It's our way of being connected to and communicating with the God that created us. And Andy walked us through what we called the Lord's Prayer and explained that actually a better title would be the Believer's Model Prayer. And as we were looking at that prayer, part of that prayer says, give us today our daily bread. And so our passage today that we've read is a bit of an extension of that, or more accurately, It would be considering how do we put the believer's model prayer into action. Jesus tells us, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. There's a very clear emphasis on material wealth here. Treasure that is specifically about what we have and what we own in a material sense. Of course, those aren't the only things that we treasure, that we hold dear to us. Because we also treasure relationships, spouses, family, achievements, ambitions, future hopes. All of those things can be great. But when elevated above God become idols... What Jesus is talking about here primarily is about material wealth, money, valuables, property, and possessions. The treasures of the earth that Jesus is referring to is any kind of valuable that could perish or be lost. Don't store these up. Don't put all our eggs in those baskets. Don't prioritize these things which ultimately could be stolen or destroyed. It's futile. They're temporary, transient. This instruction calls back to the line in the Lord's Prayer, give us today our daily bread. Give us the things that we need 
today. Not the additional indulgent things, but what we need and what we need for today. Not only that, and this is the important part, but help us to be content with what we have. Help us to nurture dependency within us on God. Let us be happy with his provision as and when we need it. So don't store up wealth and treasures and possessions. They can be stolen. They can be destroyed. This is such a foreign concept to us. This would be the worst advice we could get from a financial planner. Don't bother saving or investing. That financial planner wouldn't have a job for very long. Just a few verses before this, Jesus encouraged prayers that sought dependency on God for what was needed at the time. Now he says, in light of that, don't store up treasure here on earth. I think that the prospect of only having what we need on a day-to-day basis is completely terrifying to most of us. And so that's why we do the complete opposite. We save, we invest, and we store. We seek after the best interest rates, look for the best investments. We set targets for how much money we want to save and what we want to do with it. We set our sights on houses, cars, phones, pension pots, holidays. We treasure. And even if we think to ourselves, well, I don't earn anything or I don't earn enough currently, so this doesn't apply to me. Even our thoughts about what we would do with money when we get it shows where we treasure, that we treasure wealth. Our whole society and culture is structured around and shaped by the human desire and tendency to accumulate wealth, to treasure stuff and things. And what that Netflix documentary revealed was that in the name of making money, and storing and accumulating treasure and wealth, humankind has a terrible ability to treat even other people as commodities and pawns. Prioritizing, treasuring money has the potential to do terrible things to our morals and ideals. Humankind's desire and need to store up treasure on earth is the reason that there is so much wrong with the world around us. So what is money to us, personally? Well, if we don't have it, often it's the answer to our problems. If we have some of it, then we want more. And if we have a lot of it, we still don't have enough. Regardless of what we think about, regardless we think about it a lot, probably, certainly, too much. Money has the ability to take hold of us and our thoughts, and become a point of focus. And considering that this is included in the Sermon on the Mount 2,000 years ago, we can tell that this is far from a 21st century Western problem. In fact, we have a story in Matthew 19, and we read about how that's true. Just then, a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me what is good? Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones? He inquired. Jesus replied, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. 
You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, truly I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. What if we put ourselves today into the story of this rich young man? How close would his reaction be to our own? Lord, tell me how to love you and serve you and live my life for you. We're probably fairly willing to say that or to pray that. And then we open up our Bibles and we read, don't store up treasure in heaven. Give up your wealth. Lay down your treasure. Suddenly we may feel slightly less inclined to live fully for God. Suddenly we see sacrifice and that might put a lot of us off. And if you feel like Jesus couldn't possibly say those words to you because you're not rich like this young man was, then you're missing the point. It's not the actual accumulated wealth this man had that he was called to lay down. It was the place in his heart that that material wealth held. It was the importance that this money held for him. It was the pursuit of wealth. It was the love of his treasure here on earth. That man walked away sad because he wanted eternal life. He wanted Jesus, but he didn't want it at the expense of himself. He wanted his life, his treasure, his wealth, his dreams and desires and personal achievements. And then he wanted God stuck on the side. But the problem for him was, and so often for us, for us is as well, that it's, that's not what's on offer with Christianity. That's not what Jesus offers to us. He never offered to be an addition to what we already have going on in our lives. Jesus never offered to be stuck on the side. What the Bible tells us is that Jesus laid down his life for our forgiveness. He died on a cross so that we could have all of God and eternity in heaven with him. He didn't do that so that we could have him stuck on the side of whatever else we have going on in our lives. He did that for all of us. For the entirety of us. All of our devotion. All of our hearts. All of our value and worth. In response to Jesus laying down his life for our eternal salvation, the minimum surely that we can offer him back is our earthly lives and our treasure. The rich young man concluded that all Jesus had to offer sounded great, but not at the expense of himself and what he had. For him, that was his wealth, his money. No one can serve two masters. 
Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. This rich man was more devoted to his wealth than he was to God. And I think that we have a tendency to do the same. Part of my struggle this week is the realization that that's me so often. We walk away sad when it comes to realizing the sacrifice, what we have to give up to get all of Jesus. For us, it might not specifically be our money or the pursuit of it. It may be the next material upgrade, a house, a car, a savings pot. It might be a relationship, a spouse, a boyfriend or a girlfriend, a best friend, an achievement, something that's going to earn us plaudits. Maybe a promotion at work or a qualification at school or university. It may be an experience, our current lifestyle, or our identity. There was something that this rich young man was more devoted to than God, and he just could not lay it down. Aren't we so often the same? We are all signed up for eternal salvation and security. Yes, give us that. We're really keen to hear that God has a plan for our lives. We're really keen to hear that God is our refuge and our strength. That he hears our prayers. We love to receive his blessing and comfort. But so often, we want those things on top of what we have for ourselves. We want to hold on to our treasures and our wealth and our plans, and our pursuits, our identities, our lifestyles. We want what we want, and we hope that Jesus can fit into. But that's not what he offers us. If Jesus was to ask us to lay down our income, to give him our savings, to sacrifice our pension funds, to offer up our desire for promotions, House upgrades, new cars, better bank rates. If we were called to turn our back on our lifestyle or our identity or security or the qualification or job title that we're chasing to end a relationship or a pastime that we treasure, would we be willing? I've really struggled this week as I've considered my own response to that call from Jesus. And I know for me that there are a lot of things that would be a real struggle for me to give up. But if the conclusion is that those things are more important, more pressing, more on our mind, more a part of our thoughts and our worries and considerations than living for God is, then we are doing the very thing that that rich young man did. We are walking sadly away from God and what he has for our lives. And as Christians, it should terrify us if we were to take a step back and realize that God is secondary to our treasure. I think that we will almost always read or hear the story of the rich young man and think, that's not me. 
even if we have nothing in our bank accounts but hope upon hope that we did, or if our thoughts and plans and concerns are more about money or treasures on earth than they are about God or whatever else, then we are exactly like him. And you might be sitting thinking, well, I could hardly be called rich. Or you might be thinking, well, I have a lot of debt or I have a family to provide for. My need for money is not indulgence, it's necessity. If that is our response, do we not believe that God is aware of that need? Do we think that God doesn't know exactly what is necessary? Why is Jesus teaching, do not store up treasure on earth? Not long after telling us to pray, give us today our daily bread. Why is he teaching this? Do not store up treasure on earth. Is it because it would be wasteful to have those resources ruined by moths or vermin or have them stolen? Or is it because it prevents us from a reliance on our God? It's a sad reality, I think, that when we have what we think we need in a physical sense and in a material sense, what that does is it has a tendency to drive us further away from the one who provides what we really need in a spiritual sense. Being far from our God should scare us. It should worry us how easy it is to drift from him and especially to drift from being able to rely on him to provide for us and our families. It should really concern us how valuable our treasure on earth is to us and how unwilling we are to give it up. Where our treasure is, there our hearts will also be. Is our treasure in God? Does God have our heart? Or is he fighting for space alongside our houses, our job titles, our pension funds, our relationships, our lifestyles? Are we walking sadly away from fully committing our lives to God because we just can't handle the thought of giving up our treasure? And the scary question is, when it came to it, would we be willing to pray that God would take everything away from us so that we would draw closer to him? I suspect that most of us wouldn't. My struggle this week has been wrestling with this question in my own life. What about me? What would I struggle to give up? My relationship, if God was to decide that should end. My security, if I was called to mission in a dangerous place. Or to give up a chunk or even all of my income to God. I honestly think I would really struggle. In fact, I know that it could be heartbreaking. Suddenly, that's when it starts to hurt. When we start to get really challenged on the place that God has in our lives. And I, for one, have no intention of being like that rich young man, of walking sadly away. I'm determined to treasure God more. Where are we storing our treasures? What I have learned in my life is that when God calls us to lay something down, 
it's because he has something much better lined up for us. And that may not ever be seen on earth, but that will be treasure in heaven. So much of the Sermon on the Mount is about changing hearts, falling in love with God through Jesus. Where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. It's a great indication about what is going on in our hearts and the position that God holds in it when we consider what what we treasure and what is treasure to us. So we have to ask ourselves repeatedly, what is going on in my heart? What position does God hold there? What is preventing me from giving everything to him? Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus is completely clear here. You cannot serve both. You cannot sit in the fence. A disciple doesn't have divided loyalties. No one can support Newcastle and Sunderland. Man United and Liverpool, who are those people? But in a much more serious sense, Jesus uses the words serve and devotion to show that this issue of God versus money and God versus our treasure is not just a side issue. It's not just another part of our lives. It's a choice. Which of these we're going to serve and devote ourselves to? If we, ins- if we insist on chasing after and serving money and treasure and titles, that comes at God's expense. Make no mistake about that. And vice versa. First Timothy says this, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. If we insist on chasing after and serving money and treasures and wealth and experiences and job titles and qualifications, those come at God's expense. Much like the story of the rich young man, I think we read this and say, yeah, of course I would rather love God than money. I hate money. It's a necessary evil. But when it comes to putting this passage into practice, I suspect that we are much less willing to give up our love of money and our treasures than we wish we would be. In theory, we're often willing to acknowledge what God says is good, but really struggle to put those commands into practice. But right there is the difference between loving God and not. To take what the Bible tells us and put it into practice. To be willing to be changed by it and follow its commands. To store up treasure in heaven rather than here on earth is to love God. 
I think Jesus emphasizes the point of ensuring that we don't treasure anything over God in these verses. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Jesus is no longer talking about just material things and possessions. But anything in our world that we look to for comfort, security, value and worth over God. When we look to these things, they start to cloud everything else. They reveal where God ranks in our priorities. And what we say is, when I get that career, when I get that degree or qualification or A-level, when I get a home that I own, when I get married or have children, when I have this achievement, I think we have a tendency to subconsciously think to ourselves, when this thing happens or when this stage of my life is over, then I, then I will be happy or then I will get serious about my faith. Then I will start storing up treasure in heaven. When we only look to treasure, to what we can have or own or achieve or accomplish, then we can't see what we already have, what God has already provided and what God continues to do in our lives. And then we stop inviting him in. We stop involving him. We stop praying to him. We stop genuinely offering our days and our futures to him. We stop looking for ways to serve him and others. We stop looking for opportunities to share our faith with others or tell people about Jesus. We stop being salt and light as we've been commanded to be. And that's darkness. And that is exactly what the devil wants from us. To be so wrapped up in ourselves and in our treasures that we start ignoring God. The eye is the lamp of the body. If our eye is unhealthy, our whole bodies will be filled with darkness. And how great is that darkness? It is darkness when God's people are more concerned with how much money they make, how many bedrooms our homes have, how much we have set aside in savings, how settled our relationships and our families are than they are about the fact that there are people around us who don't know God and are on the road to destruction. And it's a sad, sad reality that we all potentially have convinced ourselves that those people, those friends and family members and co-workers are less important than our own treasure. What's really tragic about that is this. Most of us haven't decided that those people are less important than our own treasure. It's just happened that we found ourselves more enticed and obsessed with ourselves and our treasure and material wealth. And we have started to sadly walk away from Jesus, who is telling to give it all up for his, for his sake. That's awful, firstly, because it impacts us and our relationship with God. But more than that, it prevents us from being salt and light, as Jesus taught his followers to be in chapter 5. It prevents us from sharing the life-changing news of the gospel with people around us because we're too busy looking to ourselves and our own treasure. By comparison, 
If your eyes are good, your whole body will be filled with light. To be the light in the world, to store treasure in heaven comes from where we look and who we look to. When we look to God to provide what we need, when we put him first and ourselves second, when we have heavenly mindsets and see the value of investing there more than here, then we start to be the light that Jesus teaches us to be. To let our light shine by the way that we live and serve. To have people look at us and the way that we live and have them see God and his involvement in our world. Can we honestly say that that's the case for the people that are in our lives that see us on a daily or weekly basis? Do they look to us and see God? Do they see that light? For the rich young man to be filled with light To be storing treasure in heaven rather than on earth, he would have had to lay down all of his wealth. That was the thing that stopped him living fully and totally for God. His wealth was his treasure, his stumbling block. To lay it down would have allowed him to be a true disciple. To be part of Jesus' devoted followers and start investing in treasure in heaven. Treasure worth more than any that's found here on earth and with much more eternal payback. We build our treasure in heaven by living out the teaching of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Not through legalism, but to show love to God. And that means sharing the good news of Jesus with our friends and families and co-workers, taking every opportunity to tell them about our faith, serving others when it's the last thing that we can imagine doing, Loving others, forgiving them when they do wrong to us. Seeking justice, showing mercy. Giving to God, giving to the poor and needy. Devoting ourselves to lives of prayer. Seeking God and seeking his plan and direction for our lives. Hearing from him, putting our gifts into action. Having a heavenly mindset. Seeing the value and worth of prioritizing and serving God on a daily basis, more than we serve ourselves or our treasures. Ultimately, what we learn is that anything that can be stored here on earth is temporary. It's transient. It won't last, and more tragically, it won't satisfy. This is what it says in the book of Mark to emphasize just how futile and ultimately destructive it is to store treasure on earth. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? If you think that you are waiting until you are financially stable, or until you have graduated or qualified, until you get serious about serving God, about living for him every day, then you're not just waiting, you're actively walking away, sadly, from the saviour of the world. We are choosing to love money and treasures, achievements, possessions over the God that saves us. If our thoughts, our actions, our prayers and our time all reflect what we treasure more than they reflect God, then it's time for us to get right with him, to start having heavenly mindsets. 
And here is the joy in all of this. What God has in store for you is infinitely better than what you have planned for yourself. God's plan for your life is so much better than any pay rise or pension fund or job title or relationship or lifestyle. Why would we settle for the transient and erodible treasure of this world when we can start investing our treasure in heaven today? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what it teaches us. I pray, Father God, that as we consider where we store our treasure, I pray that we won't walk sadly away from you. As we realize that living fully for you means laying down the things that we value, prioritizing you above anything else that can be found here on earth. I pray that we'll find joy in the knowledge that you have something much better in store for us than we have for ourselves. Father God, I pray that you help us to live this out. Help us to go back into the world around us. Help us to be salt and light. Help us to see the value of investing in our treasure in heaven. Help us to lay down the things that prevent us from wanting to do that. Through prayer, help us to be changed. Through reading your word, help us to be transformed. Amen.